Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. Got to get my composure a little bit after that. The Lord is good to us, brothers and sisters. Sent his son to die on a cross to give us life. His blood was spilt so that you could be clean. He triumphed by rising up out of the grave so that you and I might have hope beyond the grave ourselves. The gospel is the greatest news in all the world. And as I was considering the book of Acts uh, this week, I was just thinking about how we see these twin truths in the book of Acts. You see the church bringing the gospel on the one hand and declaring it and heralding it and taking the message from Judea to, or from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And then you see on the other side, demonic opposition, satanic opposition. So you see the church being faithful and the devil coming against it. And ultimately, that's all through the book of Acts. And the glory of the gospel in the book of Acts is that it always triumphs over darkness. And things may look grim, and then all of a sudden, boom, the gospel triumphs. Stephen is declaring the gospel. He's the church's first martyr. He's stoned to death. And then the church begins to radically spread the message of the gospel, and they're scattered all throughout Judea. And then they go beyond that. And there's more opposition and more faithfulness. And the church is praying for boldness. And you see these realities being fleshed out in the book of Acts. And it just fires me up. Because nothing can stop the gospel from being taken to the nations. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. So let's ask God to bless our time in the Word. That we might get help from Acts chapter 16. Father, I thank You for this message. I thank You that You have reminded us in Scripture of the power of the Gospel and of Your faithfulness to come and embolden Your people to declare the message. And that's how churches are born. That's how people are brought out of darkness into Your marvelous light. And I pray that You would open our hearts today to receive these great truths. That Your Spirit would come upon this message in this time. That You would empower me to speak faithfully Your words. And Lord, that I would speak them in the power of the Spirit in which they have been given so that Your name would be glorified. Your name would be honored. Your church would be edified. And that even those who do not know You would experience the power of God arresting their hearts and their minds and that they would turn to You and live. And I pray, God, that Your Word would strengthen us and sustain us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, Acts, Acts chapter 16 is all about how the church at Philippi is created. How is a church born? What has to happen for a church to get created? That's what Acts 16 is all about. And it's powerful. And it reminds us, if we're, we're, we're coming in thinking, you know, how, how are we going to revitalize things? How are we going to get our city that there's so many people who'd rather be on YouTube than be actually reading the Bible. There, there'd be people who'd rather be playing video games, rather be going to the bars, than actually be in a church. How do we, how do we create that? Do we need a more attractive website? Do we need uh, you know, a better sound system? Do we need to attract with all the things and the trinkets that the world you know, kind of puts a little glitz and glamour in the church? Is that what we see in Acts chapter 16? We don't see any of that. We see the church filled with the Holy Spirit bringing the Gospel in boldness to the world around it. And Philippi gets flipped on its ear. 
It's a powerful reality. But the devil's not going to lie down and be like, okay, go ahead and take the city for Jesus. That's not going to happen. The devil's going to be resisting it. You're going to have all sorts of ideas in your mind like, you know, I can't do this gospel to every home thing. And, and Wednesday's kind of busy. And, and so there's going to be all these things that come into your mind. But listen, brothers and sisters, this is our privilege. This is the call and the task of the church to herald the gospel in our city, in our families, in our friendships. There are people that God has strategically placed you in their lives so that you might be a witness, so that they might awaken to their utter need for Jesus. Because it doesn't take long to just look at the world a little bit and see that it's in a mess. You look at everything on a governmental level, a mess. You look at things on a moral level, a mess. You look at the gender-confused, hypersexualized culture that we live in, and you see what we care about, and we desperately need to bring the gospel to bear. And Acts chapter 16 is about the invasion of the Holy Spirit to the continent of Europe. The gospel had not got to Europe yet. And Paul is going to take it along with Timothy and Silas and Luke and these men. And he's going to bring it into Europe. And it's going to set a chain reaction that would one day bring about the inception of a church in 1802 in Smithfield, Baptist Church. Do you realize that? That the events that happen in Acts 16 are directly correlated to the gospel advancing through Europe into England and that our forefathers took the gospel from England fleeing religious persecution to here with the Puritans and the pilgrims and the gospel broke out in America and there was a great awakening and revival and the gospel spread through our nation or the known nation at that time. That's how the gospel works. It transforms countries and societies individual by individual at one after another as it breaks into hearts. So I want to look at this passage in four different ways. And, and, and I want to show you as we walk through what this looks like. Number one, we're going to see that there's a gospel call in verses 6 to 10. Number two, we're going to see the first gospel conversion in verses 11 to 15. And then number three, we're going to see a, the gospel being opposed, gospel opposition in verses 16 to 24, really through the rest of the chapter. And then the gospel triumph as our last point. As we're going to see things get real in a Philippian jail and God does a miraculous work in bringing about the redemption of a jailer in the middle of a jail. It's powerful stuff, and it's the stuff that brought the gospel here. Make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit knows what He's doing, and He's on the move, and He's been doing it for 2,000 years. And we are caught up in that, brothers and sisters. And I want you to be fired up to share the gospel in the power of the Spirit, because we're caught up in this great work. So you, you doing what you do, going out to the farm or going out to the plant or going out to the factory or going out to your place of business, you are a gospel agent, a gospel missionary in that sphere of influence in your family, your friends. And God is calling us to be salt and light. Number one, the gospel call. Read with me. Verse 6, and they went through that region, the region of um, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they had come to Myasia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
So they're in what's Asia Minor, and they're actually not being allowed. It's like the Holy Spirit's like, no, we're not going there right now. We're going to go to Asia later, but I've got another work for you. I need you to go over to Greece, and I need you to take a boat and, and, and go over to Greece because I've got work there. So passing by my Asia, they went down to Troas, which was a little port city in Asia Minor, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what's happening. Paul wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said, no, I've got work for you somewhere else. And he gets a vision at night, and it's this man of Macedonia pleading, come help us. Come, please help us. We need your help over here. And he's awakened in the night by a vision and of course, he's ready to be reoriented by God. And part of this gospel ministry, brothers and sisters, is being willing to be reoriented by the Holy Spirit to be about what he wants to do. And the Spirit of God will move on this church and on every single one of you individually to reorient you to be about the gospel in the sphere of influence which he's called you. And Paul was ready to be reordered. And he was awakened in the night. And it was as if a man in Macedonia was pleading, please help us. Please help us. We need help out here. And it's like he's got an unbeliever that's caught in his sins, just crying out, we need help. We know something's wrong. We know something's not right. And we just need help. And he's awakened in the night, almost in a dream or a vision. And I was thinking this week, I'm like, I need that, Lord. Wake me up with a vision. Give me a dream. Break my heart over the lost people in our city and in our county. And maybe we need to hear that. Maybe we need to hear the man standing in Smithfield or Henry County who's crying out, come over here and help us. Maybe we need to look at those who are caught up in drugs and alcohol and enslaved by that and hear them standing up and saying, come help us. They don't know what's wrong. They don't know why they're enslaved. The devil's got them blinded. The Bible says that men are blinded by the evil one and he holds sway over their hearts and they don't even know it. They don't know why they go after these addictions and it enslaves them. And really it's rebellion against the living God. It's a hardening of the heart, but they're crying out and they're going to anything and everything else to try to get help. And we've got the answer. And so Paul in verse 10, he concludes and he says, we got to go preach the gospel in Macedonia. And so they make haste to go into Macedonia to bring the message and that's what we're doing on Wednesday. We're getting ready. We're getting ready to take the ship to go to Macedonia because there's work that needs to happen in Smithfield, right? There's work that needs to happen in our community. There's, there's a call on this church to be witnesses, to be salt and light. There are people that God is preparing to hear that message or to have a packet dropped off and it's just at the right time because they just found out they got cancer and they don't know where to turn and all of a sudden there's a gospel message that says, hey, there is more things going on right now in your soul and perhaps this has come upon you to awaken you to a deeper need for forgiveness before God because you've been estranged from your God. We have a message to declare, and this vision was calling Paul to bring the gospel to Macedonia and ultimately to the church of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. So there's going to be a couple heavy hitting churches that God is going to begin to work. And they're not there, right? Mind you, there's nobody out there that has the gospel. There's nobody there yet. 
This is pioneer missionary work. Nobody's heard the name of Jesus. And yet the call is to go. And there's probably a lot of people crying out in their lostness right now. They're not crying out for God, but they're crying out for help. Will we go? Will we have compassion in our hearts? Maybe there's somebody in here today who's crying out. They know it's not right in their heart between them and God. They know there's something wrong. They know they're enslaved, alienated from a life of God. And they need the rescue of God to break in. And the gospel is what does it. And brothers and sisters, our passage, our text leads us to what happens when somebody's faithful to declare this message in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we see gospel fruit or, or gospel conversion in point number two. Look with me, if you would, to verse 11. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Summerthress and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in the city some days. So just to give you a feel for, for this, there's the Aegean Sea and you've got Asia Minor on one side and Greece on the other side, which is, moder which is Macedonia, is really just Greece. So think of it that way. They take, a, they, they take a sailboat across, and now they've picked up Luke. So the, the pronouns in the text change from they to we. And he's saying, we go up. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is now on board with Paul. And you've got Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, taking the gospel to Greece, and they're going to go do the work. And they don't know what they're going to find, but they know God's got an open door there. Verse 13, And the Sabbath day, uh, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, uh, we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. And after she was baptized, um, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So you got to imagine this. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're coming in and they go to Philippi. And Philippi doesn't have any Jewish presence, really. There's just a couple people uh, worshiping and praying but down by the river because you got to have 10 men to have a synagogue and there's no synagogue there. So you've got a couple of women who are called God-fearers. And what that meant was that they were interested in the God of Israel and they actually believed he existed and they were actually down there praying, but they had not yet become Jews. And so they're down there doing something spiritual and Paul's like, I want to go where the action's at. So let's go to the prayer meeting. And so they walk down to the prayer meeting down by the river and Paul's like, okay, let's have at it for Jesus. And he begins to tell them about the gospel. And you've got Lydia and you've got all these women sitting there. And then all of a sudden, as Paul is sharing and he's declaring the truth about Jesus, have you heard about Jesus? He's the king of kings. He was born a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in Jerusalem, but he didn't stay dead. He rose up out of the grave. Have you heard about this man who conquered death? Have you heard about this Savior who can save your soul? Have you heard about this man even though you're far off? Even though you're praying to the God of Israel, let me tell you how you can be introduced to Him. His name's Jesus. And He can save you on the spot. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And one translation says, the Lord opened her heart to receive it. And we, oh, as we're sharing the gospel, that's what God's going to do. He's going to open some hearts. 
He has appointed that some hearts will be open, will respond, and you can guarantee every missionary in the world knows it doesn't matter how hard the soil is when the Spirit of God moves on a heart and opens it to pay attention to what God is saying. That's when glorious things begin to happen. And so Lydia, who was a seller of purple, she's a businesswoman. She's very wealthy down there praying, and all of a sudden she's caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's confronted with her sin, and she immediately responds and is saved. And the church at Philippi is born. How many of y'all know that had to happen at Smithfield? That there had to be somebody who got saved, and that was the beginning. There had to be a few people. God begins to save people. A lot of times in the histories that I've read that many of the churches around these parts, what would happen is you had circuit riders who would ride around on horseback, evangelists, like little mini Billy Grahams going around, sharing the gospel, and boom, the Spirit of God would open hearts to pay attention to what the Lord had said. And a church would be born. Smithfield Baptist Church. Salt and Light Baptist Church. Good Shepherd Baptist Church. These these churches are being born because of gospel faithfulness and gospel ministry. And they're saving people from every strata of society. You've got this businesswoman in Philippi named Lydia. Then we're going to see next that you've got a a slave girl who's demon-possessed. And then we get a jailer in the middle of a jail who's a Roman who's a hard, burly dude who's probably just punching people in the face in there, keeping things in line, and he gets saved. Because the gospel doesn't discriminate. And God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's creating a people. And when we get fired up about that, the Spirit of God begins to move. And it's going to be opposed. Don't, don't make no mistake about that. The devil will attack. But greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Amen? Amen. God is actually moving powerfully. And and it's like lightning in Lydia's heart. And she hears and she receives. And then what does she do? She just keeps it to herself and she doesn't say anything to anybody. Right? She just keeps it. It's just a privatized religion. You know, you don't want to get in people's faces with the gospel. No, she takes it to her house. She's like, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I want to take Paul, this missionary. I'm just going to let him talk for a little bit. And he's going to share the gospel. And boom, the whole household is saved. And the whole household is being baptized. And she had a lot of, she was wealthy. She had different servants and people working for her. And they're getting saved. You, gotta just, you just got to get behind this and imagine what's happening here. A whole little group of people are coming alive to the gospel who didn't even know who Jesus was. How many households are out in our city who just don't know? And when they hear, man, it only takes one to come alive, and then all of a sudden you've got a little mini revival happening. May the Spirit of God do that. May the Spirit of God just infect us with that contagious, gospel-spreading, gospel-proclaiming Christianity that cannot hold it in. We can't keep it in this church. It's too good a news to not share all around the world. And so, that's what God's doing here in Lydia's heart. That's what God's doing in Lydia's family. And that's what God wants to do in us as we scatter the seed. And listen, this is not like, this isn't something that that is you know, this is super Christian Bible stuff. And, you know, it's like the Apostle Paul. I know uh, some of us are saying the Apostle Paul was like gifted. He's like a rabbi and he's like a genius. But he had a couple of Gentiles with him and he had a couple of ordinary people. And then Lydia is just like this ordinary businesswoman. And then the jailer is this rough, you know, football playing kind of dude. So these are regular people sharing the gospel and churches are created. And if we scatter the seed and we're faithful to do that, we just trust the Lord for the results. I remember a friend of mine back in the military, 
And he was just a hardened dude. I had been praying for him for a while. I just had become a Christian, you know, six months earlier. And I'm sharing the gospel with him. And, you know, he's on the verge of a divorce. And things were not looking good. He's into the party scene. And the more I pray for him, it's like the worse he gets. And I'm just like, okay, Lord, we're going backwards here. I don't even know if he's going to come to church or anything. So I remember inviting him to church. And then I'm like sitting there. He's in church. And I can't even like enjoy the message because I'm just praying and hoping that he's going to get saved and everything the preacher's saying. I'm like, oh, don't wait, wait, wait. And I'm like getting all, you know, worked up. And then uh, the Lord's just like, I got this. Don't worry about that. You worship me and you honor me and you be faithful. So he doesn't get saved. You know, they do an altar call and, and I'm kind of bummed out about that. But I'm like, Lord, you know, for such a time as this. I'm going to be faithful, and I, and, and I remember just starting up conversations and, and, and talking with him in the car ride home, and pretty soon, you know, he's just looking bored and, like, all not into it. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, it was like I sensed the Spirit just come upon the conversation as I was talking to him, and I was like, you know you're lost. You know God exists. Deep down in your soul, you know you've been running and you're in rebellion against God, and your soul will be restless until you rest in him. And you know something's wrong in your heart. And you know deep down the spirit of God is bearing witness that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And Jesus can help you and rescue you. And it got real, real quick. And the spirit of God began to open his eyes to pay attention to the things that were being said. It's a powerful work of God. You never know when it's going to happen, but our job is to be faithful. You never know when the Lord might do that. And listen to this, uh, the, this uh, verse in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 13, 48. This is, this is why ministry will be successful and who's behind the saving of people. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So there were people getting saved all around. And what they ended up rejoicing is in was they knew they're going to preach the gospel. And as many as appointed to eternal life would believe. So God is going to do that work. You be faithful, God will draw them in. You be faithful, God will open their hearts. You be faithful, and God will open their eyes. And it's a glorious thing when He does. We start having baptisms. Point number three. As a side note, that's the recipe of how churches are born. That's the recipe of how churches are revitalized. You pray, which we do on Wednesdays, and all, all through the week, I want to encourage you guys, let's be praying. Let's be praying for souls to be one and brought into the kingdom. We pray, we preach, we go, we share, and we watch God do the work. That's what it's all about. Point number three. Now we get some opposition to this, that we know when we start to be faithful, the devil will always oppose the good news. Gospel opposition. Look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, so they kept going to this same place, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That means she had a demon that was helping her tell the fortunes of people. And, 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 and she brought a lot of, of money to her owners, much gain through fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, these are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And in this, or, or, and this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. In that very hour, the Spirit came out. So you got you to think, uh, imagine this. They're going to that same place of prayer. And now... This girl filled with a demon comes up to Paul and starts saying, these are the men from the, the they serve the most high God and, and, and they proclaim the way of salvation. 
And all through the Gospels, if you notice, the demons know who Jesus is and they talk about him. They will say, please don't, th we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And they cry out and Jesus always rebukes them and casts them out. And this girl is just incessantly declaring the truth about who these men are, because the demons know, but she's also being a nuisance. And it's just, these men are from the Most High God. These men are from the Most High God. And Paul's just getting annoyed. He let it go on for a couple days because he's patient. But then provoked in his spirit, he turns to the girl and he has compassion on her. And he rebukes the spirit and commands it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out of her. And the spirit comes out. The devil is always in the business of opposing the gospel. And it is a very demonic thing. Anytime there's persecution happening, you best believe the devil is behind it in some way, shape, or form. And the Spirit of God within Paul calls this girl with compassion and rebukes the demon and the demon leaves. And I want you guys to realize that this story is sandwiched between Lydia's conversion, which we just talked about, and then the Philippian jailer's conversion. So we know this little girl just got de delivered from a demon. She was possessed and she was telling fortunes and she had the spirit of a demon in her. And now she's in her right mind. What do you think she's thinking about Jesus right about now? She's realizing she's just been set free. This is another convert of the Philippian church. Most likely she put her trust in Jesus because she just got delivered from the power of the devil himself. And so you've got a businesswoman, a slave girl who didn't, she was totally owned by these men. She was in bondage both to men and to the demons, doubly enslaved. And God sets her free. And guess what? That creates a problem for everybody who was using her to make money. And I'll tell you what, the, the, Jesus is bad for the sin business. Okay? Jesus is bad for business. When, when the gospel begins to revive a community, strip clubs and bars begin to close down. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God begins to move in the city. You begin to see transformation one heart at a time. You begin to see people who were drunks being delivered, who were abusive to women being called out and, and changed and transformed. You see people who were abusing and using begin to have a compassion and love for God and for others. And this slave girl is set free. She was bound, but she's been set free. And she's free indeed. And maybe you need to hear a word today about how the gospel can set you free. Maybe you've come in here and you know you're bound up in something. You're caught in some sin, some addiction, something that's holding you down. And you've been consumed by it. And you need a word from the Holy Spirit to you telling you you can be set free of that. Just as this slave girl was set free and made new. But her owners are not about to just stand by idle. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing the city. Did you hear that? It's like, number one, they're Jews. Get them. Number two, they're disturbing the city. So there's kind of an anti-Semitism that they're playing on. And there's also a sense in which they're saying these, these men are creating civil unrest for just casting out a demon from a demon-possessed girl. But really, they were about lining their pockets. It would be like our gambling industry, you know, going out of business because the gospel is just breaking in to hearts and there's an awakening in Kentucky and all of a sudden we start shutting down these because they're not making any money anymore because nobody's going because nobody's enslaved to that stuff anymore. And they get upset and they want to haul the Christians into the court. That's what's happening right here. And so uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
and they joined in attack. The crowd actually joined in attacking them, and the magistrates, who were like the governors, uh, tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, demon-possessed girl is delivered. These men drag their people, or drag Paul, Silas, into court, and they're thrown into prison, and they're beaten with rods. And you've got to imagine what's happening here. They get flogged, and they get whipped about 39 times, plus one is what they would call it. And so this isn't the first time it's happened. Paul later will get... uh, thrown into court again in the city of Ephesus. He'll get stoned at one point and drug out of the city and left for dead for the sake of the gospel. So there's always going to be opposition. But isn't it interesting that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. So the gospel will be opposed, but brothers and sisters, there will be triumph over all opposition. Look at verse 25. This is powerful stuff. This is what they do with the persecution they're enduring. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) What? They were praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name, and they're having a prayer meeting in prison, and the whole prison is listening. Please know the world is watching how we suffer. Do we grumble and complain or do we sing and do we pray? They are watching. And the greatest witness we can have to the world is when we show what it looks like to suffer for the name of Christ and we just rejoice. Because we've been counted worthy to suffer for our Lord. And that is a ministry to the world that they just scratch their heads and go, what? is going on everybody's listening because these men have been preaching the gospel and now they're in prison you want to know how to save a philippian jailer you get your apostle or you get your missionaries into prison you get them thrown into prison that's what god was doing he knew what was happening it wasn't like satan is like you know it looks like uh satan two and 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 you know gospel christianity one and we're losing No, God knew exactly what he was doing. He sent them to prison because he wanted to save a jailer. And he wanted to bear witness to the gospel throughout that whole prison. Look at verse 25 again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and their prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So God was listening so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened and when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped and paul cried out with a loud voice do not harm yourself for we're all here and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before paul and silas and then they brought uh, and then he brought them out and said sirs what must i do to be saved and they said to him believe in the lord jesus christ and you will be saved you and your whole household and the they spoke to them the word of the lord or i'm sorry they spoke the word of the lord to him and all who were with him in the house And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then they brought them up into the house and set food before them. 
and he rejoiced along with the entire household that had believed God. I mean, this is just wild gospel ministry breaking down the doors of persecution, opposition, flipping things upside down. The devil thinks he's winning, and he isn't winning. God is using his own attacks to serve his missionary purposes in creating a church at Philippi that's going to have a a little sending base. And, And think about all the miraculous things that are happening. The ground shakes. The earth quakes. The, the, the shackles come undone. The doors swing open. Think about all these people in prison. There were probably a lot more people getting saved that day than just uh, these, uh, the Philippian jailer. Because how do you explain it? What's going on? These, they were listening to Paul praying and praising the Lord. This is prison evangelism. This is, this is those who were bound by shackles are now set free in order to set men who are bound by sin free by bringing the gospel to them. You cannot chain down the gospel. You cannot thwart it ultimately. And the church needs to be emboldened by the reality that not even the gates of hell can stand against the church. Because the devil's been doing it for 2,000 years and it's been unsuccessful. The church is global. And the work's not yet done. We talked about that. But please know that the Spirit of God is all over gospel ministry and people are still being saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this story is in here to remind you that God knows how to get His people where they need to be. And sometimes it means suffering, being sent to prison so that you can win a whole prison to Christ. Where might the Lord be sending you? Where might the Lord be calling you to share the message? As a believer, I pray that the Spirit of God would really just invigorate you with this kind of boldness because please know when you begin to step out, that's when you begin to see the Spirit of God come upon the work. And it may get you in some hot water at times. Persecution will inevitably come within families within friendships. People won't always like it when you're sharing the gospel. But when you begin to see people get saved, it is the greatest thing. It is so encouraging. And next to being saved yourself, there's no greater thing. The angels throw a party in heaven every time somebody is saved. And we ought to be throwing a party in our hearts every time we get to be a part or bear witness to that reality happening in human hearts. And what does the jailer ultimately say when he sees all this? He's freaked out. He just saw the whole prison open up on its own. And and it's not like Haunted House at Disneyland. This is like the Spirit of God beginning to awaken people to the fact that God is here. God is in this place. God is ministering in the midst of this jail. And brothers and sisters, we are the church of God and the spirit of God presides in and through us. And we are the temple of God and we're being sent out filled with the Holy Spirit to do this kind of gospel work. And this jailer is trembling before Paul. It's like low hanging fruit, right? This is this man is just like, uh, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he's quaking in his boots. That's the question we all want to get asked. And sometimes that question will be asked of you. How can I be saved? And what is the answer? Oh, you just got to be good enough. You just got to be baptized. You just got to be put on a church membership role. You just got to be faithful in your attendance every week. No, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not going to be any work that we do that saves us. It's the work of Christ that we're trusting in. It's the person of Christ. Notice that he says that in uh, verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he's thinking, like, do I got to do something to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved, you and your whole household. They're not being asked to believe 
um, ultimately in a set of propositions alone. They're being asked to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. To believe what He did on a cross. Jesus has done the work. Jesus has lived the life you never could. Jesus came from heaven to earth to do what Adam could never do in the garden. He could not face Satan and prevail. He came to do what Israel failed to do all throughout the Old Testament. They broke the covenant of God. Moses wasn't up on the mountain for 10 minutes, and they're out having an orgy and worshiping a golden calf. Because we can't get there on our own, brothers and sisters. And if you're in here today and you don't know Christ, you can't get there on your own. You can't heal yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't free yourself from addiction. You can't free yourself from the loneliness and the despair that encroaches upon your soul and crushes you. You need somebody else to set you free. You need the one from, who came from heaven to earth to show the way and to be the way. You, you need the one who died on a cross, a bloody sacrificial death in your place if you will believe. Because sin requires death. Because we sin, we will all die. But Jesus bore it on a cross. He bore the penalty. He bore the punishment. He bore the wrath. He bore the fierce indignation of a holy God raining down upon our sin on Himself on a tree. And He rose up out of the grave to give life to all who believe. He did it with Lydia. He opened her heart. He did it with the slave girl. He cast out the demon. He did it with the jailer who was in there pummeling his, his, his prisoners. And then he got set free. And the church of Philippi was born. And if you are here today and you don't know where you stand with God, you need to know the way to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To go all in for Jesus. To put your trust in Him. To not start trusting anything else. To say you're a sinner. And come to Him as a Savior. And to experience the life of God in your soul. And He's been doing it throughout the ages. And He will do it in your heart. And it doesn't matter what you're enslaved to. The girl who was demon-possessed was full of demons. And she was enslaved in her sin and she was set free like that. What will you do today with Jesus? What will you do if you're in here and you don't know for sure you're a child of God? And maybe the Spirit of God has borne witness to that reality in your heart. Oh, how the Lord would break in if you will but ask Him to come. Oh, if you would awaken to your need, the Spirit of God would begin to open your heart to receive these things. And you would say, this is mine. I want this. I want to trust Jesus. And perhaps you're weary from opposition as a believer in here. And I know a little bit about this. When I first got saved, um, I was sharing the Gospel you know, and I was, I was the man going out partying. I was the man into the drug scene. I was the man doing all the things that I shouldn't have been doing. And then God saves me and I start telling people about Jesus. I started sharing the gospel every chance I could on my breaks. And I had my Bible out and people would start asking me questions like, all right, Reverend Phillips. And, 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 and it was like automatically I became a reverend. And, you know, two days later, uh, I was, you know, living the party scene and, and now they're calling me names and stuff like that. But people started to get upset and they're the ones asking me questions on my breaks. I was just reading my Bible quietly. And I remember there was a Satanist that I worked with who had lost soul tattooed on his fingers. And there was a couple other people who hated the gospel. And, and people were always asking me questions. Pretty soon my gunnery sergeant came up to me and he's like, listen, uh, y'all can't be, y'all can't be talking about this uh, in, 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 uh, on your breaks. It's just, we can't have it. And I said, well, you know, people can talk about all their sordid adventures on the weekend and they're asking me questions. You know, I just want to be faithful to answer them. And he knew he couldn't tell me to, to not talk about Jesus on my breaks. Um, and ultimately, I began to see the Spirit of God begin to save people. And pretty soon we had a Marine Corps Bible study. And then I got kicked out of one shop 
which was basically transferred, quote unquote, to another shop, and then it started all over again. And I'm fix I was fixing jet uh, uh, radars, and then I started fixing airframes, and I got to share the gospel all over again with new people in a new place, and it was like a little mini book of Acts right there, breaking out, because that's what God does. He wants to do that in our families. He wants to do that in our city. He wants to do that in and among us. So be encouraged. The Spirit of God is still moving through His church and calling people to Himself. And be faithful and don't allow gospel opposition to silence the gospel in your life. But go tell it on the mountain. Be emboldened. Pray for boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this great news. I thank you that the church of Philippi was born because Paul and his missionary band was faithful to a vision to go out and share the gospel in Macedonia. And then you began to awaken people to their need. And perhaps there are some here today who are lost. They don't know you, but the Spirit of God has been speaking to their hearts. Perhaps they're here in this room and they, they realize they're not right with you and you are calling them to repent of that, to put their trust in Jesus, the greatest Savior, the only Savior. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And yet, you are calling people where they're at. You meet them where they're at. You open their eyes that they might see and their ears that they might hear. And I pray that you would begin to move on hearts and draw them to yourself. And perhaps there's some here today like that. And I pray, God, that they would be crying out in their heart right now, Lord, I believe. Lord, I, I want to turn away from my life of sin. I want to embrace you as my king. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. Save me. Come into my life and make me new. And I pray that you would be saving sinners with that great message, Lord, as we go out. And we share this news to a needy world. May you inspire us and encourage us and invigorate us and bring that gospel fervor in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.